Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Hey everybody, it's Elise Holly at day three of the Healthcare Symposium, so wrapping up today. And I'm sitting here with Matt Nair, who's currently a graduate student at California State University, Long Beach, and also works as a human factors consultant at Sutton's Creek Incorporated. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's, it's a pleasure. Um, you know, so this is, what, your second year coming to this conference now? Yeah, correct. That's, um, my first year was going to the symposium. It was in Boston um, last year, and so decided to come back for Chicago this time. It's fantastic. Must be doing something right to keep you coming back. So from the student perspective, what, what brings you to this conference? Um, for me, it's a lot of kind of networking opportunities that happen because there's a lot of different companies in terms of research companies or industry companies that are here um, and it's centralized. So for me, with an interest in healthcare, it's a really nice place just to kind of meet everybody all in one place because everyone's here usually. Um, but then you also get to meet you know fellow people who are interested in the same um, career interests or research interests, um, as well as like a really good opportunity um, to present your research if you have any um, that you developed during school. Um, so the big reason for me coming back this year was presenting a poster on my ongoing thesis project, which was a fun kind of thing to go about doing this year. Yeah, so what, what was your poster on? Um, so my poster was on, um, like I said, my thesis project, which is uh, vigilance performance um, using essentially a cardiac telemetry task, and then. And so let's let's break down some of those things. <laughs> <laughs> so um, vigilance decrement is a very human factorsy term. Yeah, so it's what a is that? very human factorsy term <laughs> for essentially just kind of how performance deteriorates over an extended period of time on tasks that require sustained attention. So you see it a lot in like aircraft, air, air traffic control tasks um, or other monitoring tasks. Because they're just staring at a screen all day yeah, looking for, for things. Yeah, for an extended period of time. Um, so when I was thinking about my project, I came up with the idea of potentially looking into how it would impact a healthcare setting. Um, a lot of the research in vigilance kind of performance is mostly centralized in anesthesiology. Um, Which is what exactly for our audience? <laughs> <laughs> so for um, anesthesiology is during surgery there the doctors are essentially in charge of putting the patients under um, and kind of keeping them under monitoring their vitals to make sure that they're still stable throughout the entire um, surgical session. Um, so their whole job is monitoring you know the different uh, vitals so there's a lot of different screens they need to look at um, but that's mostly what their job is from my like from a vigilance perspective anyway um, not knowing very much about the actual clinical job I'm sure there's a lot more <laughs> that goes into it right. um, but part of with my internship I in, I interviewed uh, a telemetry I guess manager at a hospital 
Um, so we had this really nice discussion about telemetry technicians and kind of the debate that's going on um, for them in terms of how many patients that they can monitor without seeing really a decrement in performance or like a lot of location things, whether or not like they should be located on the floor, off the floor. Um, so it just kind of got me started thinking about, you know, what other ways can kind of cardiac telemetry performance be impacted, especially from a monitoring standpoint. And so on cardiac floors, there's people that their whole job is to sit in front of screens um, and monitor the patient's heart rates. Um, so generally, they can kind of go anywhere, anywhere between like eight patients up to like 48 patients. Wow. Roughly. That's a lot of people um, to monitor. Yeah, and it definitely depends on how big the unit is. So that's a big factor in kind of determining how many patients each person is monitoring. Um, and that's, I mean, that's their job. They sit there for, you know, their shift length, you know, obviously with maybe like a lunch break or something along those lines. Um, but that's kind of really what they do the entire time. Uh, so I was just kind of thinking about it going, wait a minute, like this could be an opportunity to look into something a little bit different um, and kind of just get not a very high fidelity, like look into it um, for using like nursing students as opposed to like real clinicians. But as like a thesis project, it was kind of like good starting off point. Um, and then with my advisor's uh, kind of advice, for my project, she was like, all right, we're just gonna kind of keep it narrowed down a little bit. Um, Cause she, I kind of expanded on my whole project and what I wanted to do. And she advised me to more like, keep it a little bit more manageable cause it's a thesis project. But that's definitely something to take into account like future opportunities. So it kind of further developing that project for either like a job interview um, yeah, or my so like own research project. For those who are, you know, thinking about going into the grad school route and the idea of having a thesis is very daunting, never fear, you usually have an advisor that helps you scope yeah, you it down. Yeah, you definitely have a thesis chair. Um, that's kind of like the first step um, after kind of coming up with an idea for the proposal, kind of take yeah. that to the chair or who you would like your chair to be and kind of talk to them about it once they get on board. They're you know, there to help kind of manage, make sure the project is going in a direction that can actually be completed in a relatively yeah. condensed time frame. Yeah, absolutely. So we're here at the conference. We're now at day three. So we've had two full days packed with sessions <laughs> so far. Um, you know, what have been some of the, the talks that have stood out to you so far? Um, a lot of the talks that have stuck out to me so far is I spent a lot of time in either patient safety talks um, or the hospital environment track. Um, and I think one of the most interesting talks I went to was a panel that was, I think if I remember correctly, four physicians or five physicians um, from around the country um, just essentially talking about their viewpoint in terms of why there's kind of a disconnect between human factors and getting it really implied into the clinical environments and kind of from their perspective what can be done differently 
um, to kind of get people more on board uh, with the human factors side of research and kind of what the benefits are. Um, mostly with a lot of them saying there's just a disconnect between the two groups because with human factors, from their perspective, human factor specialists don't usually have a lot of really good understanding about what they do in a clinical environment, where at the same time, from their perspective, and they were quite open about it, is physicians don't understand what human factors does or what it means to the clinical environment, and they don't also really want to take the time to learn about it. Uh, so it was interesting to hear <laughs> that, especially as kind of there's more of an interest in incorporating human factors principles into uh, clinical environments, whether it be from a design of the floor standpoint or the unit, um, or if it you know still goes into the workflow of how the clinicians do their daily tasks. Um, so it's just kind of interesting to hear physicians kind of talk about it from their perspective. It's an interesting problem. I was in a talk yesterday where um, the uh, a clinician who ended up getting his master's in human factors got up and talked, and one of the things that he said is this, this um, difference in trust. And so if you have an outside you know, human factors kind of consultant position coming in, there's a lack of trust because they're like, until you're here at my bedside watching what's going on, y you don't understand. And so having that, that role of really an embedded human factors professional in the hospital mm -hmm. can help bridge that because they're seeing the things that are going on yeah. much more I so. Mean, that was definitely one of the topics that came up um, with the physicians. Um, and the physician that talked about it did a great job of talking about it from the standpoint of going, sure, we have like human factors, people who are interested in doing the research side about healthcare, but what is needed more is human factors, professionals, or specialists that are willing to approach it from an embedded standpoint. So really being an employee of the hospital who's there to not just look at healthcare from a research standpoint, but take what's found in the research and really start getting it applied into the different clinical settings, mm -hmm. um, which I thought was a really interesting idea and definitely is something that's needed. Because um, if I remember correctly, I think she said that there was like less than 15 for sure, like around the country this or just like around the world. Insane. I mean, I remember when <laughs> I came into grad school, I, I had this, you know, thought of this position. And I remember at the time, folks were like, that's not really a thing. And just seeing it grow over the past few years is, um, it, it just demonstrates the, the need that's there for having these people. There. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know every year they talk about, you know, the improvements that have been made to the symposium and how it's grown and it gets bigger every year. There's more posters every year. There's more talks every year, different sessions, different tracks. Um, like this year, I know they ended up having to have multiple sessions for the same track at the same time just because that's how high the quality of the submissions were. Um, so it's great to see the interest and the growth for healthcare, especially from a human factor standpoint. Um, but it'll be interesting also to see kind of where it goes in the next couple of years. Absolutely. Um, so 
you know, thinking of where you are now, um, you know, a lot, a lot of our, our audience listeners, some of them will, uh, you know, just be getting into human factors, either just hearing about it or kind of getting their feet wet into the field. So thinking back to your yourself, you know, a few years ago when you first started this grad school program, what's, what's one thing you wish you'd have known coming into the field of human factors? Or what's one piece of advice you'd give to yourself? Um, I guess one piece of advice would probably just be starting my thesis project a little earlier <laughs> and kind of like working on that whole process and kind of figuring out what I wanted to do. Um, but also just maybe doing a little bit more of my own groundwork and footwork to just really evaluate what are the industries that are out there that kind of participate in human factors related research or practices um, and kind of just narrow down from there in terms of my interests because um, there's a lot of great networking opportunities um, whether it be from the annual conference or from you know a more specific conference like the symposium here uh, but at the same time like for me I knew that I was interested in healthcare but I didn't really like more commit I guess to that being the idea of where I wanted to take my career um, probably until like six months or so into the program. I knew I was interested in it and I knew I had a passion for the healthcare system. It was more just kind of going, okay, if I want to do healthcare, how do I even go about doing that? How do I figure out where to go, who to talk to, um, and kind of address it from that perspective? Yeah, because I think one of the big things that was really eye-opening for me, just within this conference alone, kind of opening up your eyes to the breadth of how human factors can apply to healthcare. Yeah, how it can be applied and kind of where it's applied. Um, so locating like where different companies are mm -hmm. and then, you know, kind of just taking it from there because I know I was pushed to come to this conference originally the first year um, based on a couple of professors in my program um, who I had expressed my interest to and I was debating um, kind of going, okay, do I go to the annual conference or do I go to the healthcare conference? I can only afford one mm -hmm. just based on, like, you know, grad student budget and all that stuff. Um, and they essentially came up and they were just like, Matt, you're interested in healthcare. Don't get me wrong. Annual conference is great. You get a lot of different opportunities. There's a lot of things going on. But if, you're, if you know you want to pursue healthcare it'd be so much more beneficial for you to go to the healthcare conference because it's all going to be focused. Yeah. So it's all healthcare-related topics. So, I mean, there's the drug and delivery track, there's the hospital environments track, there's the patient safety track. Um, I'm sure there's one other one. Oh, the health uh, IT and consumer track, I believe is... It's pretty good being able to list all those off the top <laughs> of your head. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I mean the the breadth of this conference is you know quite wide and and exposes you to the idea that human factors doesn't just have to be a checkbox and you know some 
some office somewhere. It's, yeah. it's a lot more diverse than that, really depending on what your interests are and what you want to get out of it. Yeah, and it also depends on like which company you're working for and kind of what their perspective is on it, um, whether it's more of like an industry-focused um, company, so something that does a little bit more on the device side mm -hmm. um, versus if you work for like more of a research-focused company. Um, both kind of carry obviously the same like human factors concepts. It's just kind of how those are kind of applied and kind of the different perspectives that they bring to the table, um, both of which are important in their own right. Because um, we definitely need to you know, do better jobs at evaluating medical devices. That's a big way to decrease medical errors, yeah. um, which I believe based on like current research and estimates is around the third leading cause of death. This is just crazy. In America when you think about it. A lot of room for improvement, definitely. Yeah, especially <laughs> when, I mean, you consider most of them are, can be preventable yeah. if the time really goes into kind of figuring out what the issue is and how that issue is arising, um, which is a big topic that is going like going around in healthcare and trying to figure out exactly where those issues are. Absolutely. So a lot of challenges, a lot of places that human factors can spread some some human factors love and yeah, definitely. <laughs> helping with patient <laughs> safety and uh, and efficient use. Um, so thank you so much for being on this show. If our uh, those who are listening want to find out a little bit more about you, where can they go? Um, so I definitely have a LinkedIn account. Um, that would be the best place uh, to find out a little bit more about me, my experience, um, kind of the perspective that I'm coming from. And, and we'll make sure that that link goal. is posted on our show notes for our uh, audience. Um, so thank you so, so much for coming on, providing the student perspective. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so we always end the show with a, it depends, because as you know, in Human Factors, it always depends. It definitely does. <laughs> so on the count of three, I'll count us down, and then we'll, we'll finish it off. Sounds great. One, two, three. It, it depends. depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 12.02, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.